So music is me. You know, I, Prince says that, and I get it. I am music, and I am music. I really feel it. I would love it so much. I was at Chas Vest and Tipitina's seeing yeah. uh, Days Between Band, and there were two guys at the band at the back of the bar, and they were yapping so loud at each other. And then finally I turned, and I'm like, guys, guys, please, please, you're talking over, you're yelling over the music. And at first they got, like, offended. I'm a big shut shusher. I tell people to shut the fuck up. And I was like, uh, and, uh, you know, I got a little bit jersey on them. And then some guy gets in the middle. I was like, easy, easy, easy. And eventually they quieted down. I went up. And later the guy came up to me. He's a New Orleans lo local. He's like, yeah, that's why I moved here. I moved here because for music. And I was like, I was like, I know. I just love music so much. You know, when people are chatting over it, it just drives me up the fucking wall. And I'm yeah. sorry. I don't mean to get rude. And, you know, we ended up connecting. And he knows where I'm coming from. And, I, and he understood. He goes, I feel the same way. I was shushing someone 10 minutes ago, but then it becomes you that are the, you're the talker. Yeah. So anyway, I love music. It's part of me. And it, it's one of the reasons I do what I do as a career, because it puts me front row seat most time without a ticket and sometimes getting paid yeah. with my little camera in there. You know, I've shot fish hundreds of times in my life, you know, to, to be there and watch it. It's not what I do anymore. Now I'm there for the dance and the party and to connect with my friends. You know? Tell us about shooting fish though. Like, is there, is there like one or two moments that you like remember as being like really cool well, doing that? I remember '94 at that Warfield show and getting a photo pass. I remember getting so. And after the Warfield show, a friend of mine gave me a backstage pass, and I went backstage and I met the band. I met Trey, I met Mike, I met Paige. Had good conversations with everybody. Fishman had a funny conversation with him. My the conversation with Fishman was like, um, we were he was getting a coffee. We we're at the, like craft service, and I'm like. Uh, Wow, I've never seen a drummer call songs before. I was like, that's absolutely incredible. I was, he's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, you start so many of the songs. And he goes, oh, no, there's a set list. I was like, there's a set list? And he goes, oh, yeah, this is 94. He goes, there's a set list. He goes, unless we play Antelope and then anything could happen. And they had played a bomb Antelope that night. He goes, we play Antelope, anything could happen. So he told me there's a set list at that point. And what I meant by that was a lot of the songs start with the drum beat. You know? Yeah. And later years, how I was able to call a lot of songs is watching when Trey would go over to Fishman and be like, you know, he would just whisper, whisper something to him at the end of a set, and you'd be like, Harry Hood, makes you know you're Papa Tipa, or Bowie, or Maze, or whatever. Yeah. You know, they all start with the drum beat. So right. for me, it was interesting to watch a drummer start a song. But I met the manager after the show, John Paluska, and I was talking to him about Fish, and I was just like, wow, man, what's the, these guys are, I'd just been seeing the Grateful Dead play stadiums, like the Grateful Dead, nothing but stadium tours those days, 94, 93, mm -hmm. doing lots of big, big spaces. And I'm like, but these guys are going to be in stadiums really soon. I like fish. I mean, I could see the thirst for the Grateful Dead. I can just imagine the same thing with transfer to fish. And he goes, "Well, we have a plan. We got a plan for these guys." And this is '94 talking to Paluska. So I called Paluska after the shows and introduced myself again on the phone. Called him up in, in Burlington at the office and told him I was interested in shooting the show. I was like, "We don't allow photography." And I'm explain who, who you know who, who i work for what i do and he goes all right i'm gonna make an exception and give you a a photo pass for three songs so i went to the warfield that first night and brought my camera and shot you know a couple of songs because when i saw Kuroda's light show in 1994 at the will turn i was like i gotta shoot this ld and this is 1994 this is park hands this is uh, the minkin painted backgrounds this is this is not moving lights hanging out of the ceiling making right. shapes you know this was as basic a light show as you could get but there was just something i saw from him as a photographer that i was like i need to visually get 
into this guy's orbit and shoot this band. And then the second time I had a really good photo pass, I was allowed to shoot the whole a whole run was um I uh, Red Rocks ninety six where I took my camera and ended up shooting uh the first night there for Rolling Stone. And uh that was absolutely incredible. You know, that was great uh fish at Red Rocks. That's ninety six. Yes. Yeah. Have you shot fish at the Gorge? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of the places that uh I was going to and you know, I had wasn't really working with the band they knew about me they knew i was there i had shot worcester i think the year before because i happened to be there and uh, they were gonna have seth uh yakavoni you know seth yakavoni plays guitar yeah. he sat in with the band a couple of times he was gonna sit with the band and when i have a photographer so colton came up to me after the show I was like you got your gear here and i was like yeah he goes you shoot tomorrow night and i'm like sure so i that's where i started shooting the band was worcester and the reason i went to worcester in the first place in 97 was because I wanted to see the band on their home turf, mm. you know, and I thought that like San Francisco was for the Grateful Dead. That this, when I went when I went to Worcester, it was Worcester. I was wrong because after those Worcester shows, I went down the Spectrum and watched them tearing new asshole in it, and I was like, oh, saw the tray with the flyer shirt, talking about seeing his first concert at the Spectrum. I'm like, oh, we both saw our first concerts at the same venue. We're Philly. He's a Philly guy. I'm a Philly guy, even though we're Jersey guys. Because that was our place. WMMR was our, that was a local radio station in Philadelphia. That was our lifeline. And I remember going to gym class in seventh grade and talking to Michael Sabatini and being like, fuck, the music stations in Atlantic City suck. And he goes, you got to take your antenna and you got to put it out the window. And you dial at 93.3. And I went home that night and it was like somebody opened up Pandora's box. Because you just had access. Because in 93.3, what they were playing was every band that was going to roll into the Spectrum to tour. So The Who, Genesis, Floyd, Zeppelin, everybody that was coming through, yes, Grateful Dead would come on. They would play that in their playlist. Because huh. Electric Factory was buying all the ads. And that was Electric Factory, Larry Imagine back in the day, which is all now part of uh, Live Nation. But, you know, it was... When I look back at how historical it was and the sound systems back in those days sucked. That that Aerosmith show I was talking about, that sound was bouncing off that place. You couldn't tell what, what song it was. And when the band stopped, you know, because I never heard a band stop like one instrument at a time before, it was so weird and awkward. And it took the sound a couple seconds to stop reverberating through the room before you're like, and it's all Steven Tyler on the floor. And you're like, what the fuck's going on? Who <laughs> we have to leave? I only went to the Spectrum once for Fish in 99. That was, uh, they were good shows. Yeah. They were really good shows. They opened one night with Harry Hood, which, uh, at the time, you know, blew my fucking mind. Yeah. They weren't opening with Hood a lot. No. They've done it a couple times recently. In the middle of the set the other night. Yeah. What do you think of Fish's evolution over the last 13 years? I think it's phenomenal, actually. I, you know, who knew it would be this engrossing and this engaging and this much fun? You know, I, I, after, I got to say Shoreline in, in, uh, 21. Yeah. Shoreline 21 was probably some of the best fish I'd seen in a long time. As far as two shows consecutively, I remember going though, talking back to Worcester. I remember going to those shows and the musical conversation, which is what you were talking about earlier. Uh, the musical conversation in, uh, big Cypress, when the guys lock into a, a sound that becomes their sound for a show or for a run. Yes. And in those days it was for a full run. 
the musical conversation would carry on like they would leave the stage and when they came back the next day they would pick it up exactly where they left it off the night before there was none of those 45 minute build-ups with the grateful dead trying to figure out where they were going to go in the second set you know every time the grateful dead went the stage it was uh they it was like they were starting the machine up again with fish it was like that machine was just running that whole weekend i remember going to worcester and being like each one of those nights had magic in it and they all were a continuation it's one giant show when you look yeah i feel like it was 27 2018 it was three it was three days wasn't it in worcester yeah well, yeah 97 98 were both three days of worcester the, it's interesting because we talk about the eras right the 1.0 2.0 three yeah, but it's like you're right we can go into runs and then we can even go into sections of little tours. If it's two nights in a place or it's like, you know, a summer run in like 2000 when they were on the East Coast. Yeah. This like they, they start a conversation and it goes for two nights or or three cities or, you know, and we right. and, then, and then we zoom out and all of a sudden we're talking about 1.0 or 2.0. Right. Like these. It's crazy. So it was interesting. So what I was trying to say is Shoreline for me was the show where I was just like turned on my fucking ear. Where I, from the moment they hit the stage to this last night when the moment they left, I was like, those were two of the most beautiful nights of fish I have seen in years, continuously, consecutively, all night long, show to show. I was just sitting there, I was entertained, they were inspired, they were going for it. And it was like, we were in another, bu- we were in a bubble. Because fish wasn't like that. They weren't like that the shows before that. And they weren't like that the shows after that. And 2022 for me wasn't exactly a year where I went back and was like, oh, I go back and listen a lot to 2022. And what I'm going back to mostly is in Shoreline, if I want to go back and listen, like we were talking about what drives you, what makes you go back to listen again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Shoreline took me months, weeks, years, days to get through it <laughs> and, and analyze that shit and get it into my system. And I feel the same way about the Hollywood Bowl show. I keep going back. Yeah. The, the ghost, Bowie, the start. Are, there's so much going on in that first 25 minutes to a half an hour that I'm just like, what the fuck? Who are these guys? Where were they last night? Where were they even at the Greek? I mean, the Greek had some great moments. I'm going back and re-listening to some of that, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and piecing it all back together. And it's just it's just been a very, very interesting trajectory, trajectory and history. And it's engaging, and I love it, and I can't believe it's still going on, and I can't believe when Jerry was five years dead by now, 53, Trey is hitting a new stride. And you listen, you were talking earlier about speed and how they wrote those songs and how fast they were, and I, I, when I went to go, I met Peter from Goose, and I was having a conversation with him, and one of the things I told him was, just be careful with your songwriting now. Don't get all fancy and intricate and fast, because that's all the shit your fans are going to hear later when you can't hit those notes again at that rate because it was something you wrote when your fingers were able to do a completely different thing because you personally were practicing eight hours a day there's only one member of that band that practices eight hours a day we all know who that is i don't even gotta say his fucking name but it ain't trey Anastasio. <laughs> and he is trey still hits it and he's able to work it but he does not he's not able to do what he used to do and we all appreciate that and me as a guitar player i appreciate that's what happens in life then you write this stuff when you're 18 or 19 that you're just like, look at this, look how fancy, look at this trick, look what I can do. And when you go back and you're 58 and you try to do those tricks again, they don't fly, they don't hit the same way with the same thing. So you got to change things. A slow llama or whatever it is. I mean, we're not not getting it's ice more than once a year these days. Yeah, that that one is hard. With the intricate foam is intricate. I mean, all, and it isn't any of them. Like Reba, even Fluffhead. Like, there's we all get to those moments. Bowie, you you were, I heard time I see Bowie. I remember watching uh, a Yam or Fluff. I watched Fluff on the feed once, and I'm just sitting there watching it. 
and I'm watching him play that piece of music, and I'm just like, this is incredible. Like, that these guys wrote this fucking crazy song that does so many different things in the course of 18 minutes. Yeah. And you're just like, How, who can come up with that? Who can remember that? Like, if you try to remember a, a, a paragraph of words, you have trouble. But to remember all these sections that don't make sense. I know. Um, Freeze is really good at that. They got all this shit going on in their songs with different angular changes and structure changes and key changes and tempo changes that you're just like, how the fuck are you guys going to keep remembering this shit? But you were talking about, you know, when you first started seeing music, you you didn't want it to deviate from the record, right? Of and course. so what I was thinking about when you were talking about that is sections of Reba, the composed sections, right? We all, our brains all go to, not the record, but our brains go to where it's supposed to be. And in, in, and in, and you point oh, and four point, section, we're not happy. Please just let's have this composed section be super dialed in. We all want that. And then what we beg for is that we would just blow the fucking roof off. Ever. And, and, and if he blows the composed section, what's the other thought going through your head? I don't know that when he, he's going to blow this jam up because he fucked up the okay composer. yeah okay he's going to make up for fucking that up we meant to go over the top that's then. what I was saying it's like we want them to like lock and do the absolute composed section perfectly because we you know it yes. burned into our brains but then what we want is like two minutes later is we want them to go to fucking outer space well yeah. you know what people yeah. are want people are always like what do you think of that show and then sometimes you know there's always those shows every show someone will be like but it was great but <laughs> but I didn't hear Betty Butts second night at the Hollywood Bowl. No, but, there were no, no buts, buts about it, right? No, that was one of those shows where if somebody said butt, you were like, fuck you, just shut up. You have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I think we said a few weeks ago, you'd have to be the biggest jaded vet in the world to have a butt. To piss on that show, yeah, yeah, because you saw them going for it, you know? They, and, I, but, and the conversation continued into Sunday in some way. I like agree. I, but Sunday, Sunday was have great. the same this song is, selections, obviously. How do you keep that? We, we know fish. We know fish. We've all been there. When everybody in the venue gets their mind blown, for everybody to think for one iota that they're going to come out the next night and do something to top that, you're high. <laughs> These guys are close to 60. <laughs> the fact that they were able to find the energy to do that. But you do know, there's some interesting things about the hobby ball. You want to get into this? Yeah. Okay. So do you know... Did did you have a thought about why? Did that ever cross your mind? Why they played the Hollywood Bowl? No. Why night two was so markedly different Tell than us. night one? What happened? Did that ever enter your frameworks? Yes. Yeah. What, what was the rationalization that you came up with? What we, dis- what we thought was that there were so many people, they were potentially aware of the demographic of the crowd that was coming to this show, right? It's either people that have never seen them before, it's people that haven't seen them for 20 years, or... There's all these, you know, industry people that are coming out to see them, and they're playing in one of the biggest, most important kind of venues in North America, right? Where the people that are there are paying attention, and they're criticizing. So what happened to Trey between night one and night two to make him go out and become a completely different werewolf to, like, come out of his fucking skin? What do you think? I know what happened. What happened? Well, he got it. He fucking read a bad review. Yeah. Yep. And I can't tell you who because I can't. I'm not about to, like, give up all my little names and stuff. I, You know, on my Instagram, one of my friends who I've known for many, many years and worked for the band hit me up, and and I was like, uh... Wow, that band was, that show was sick last night, talking about Saturday. And he goes, yeah, that's because I told Trey to kick it the fuck up after night one. Wow. And, I, and so that was riding in the back of my head. So I saw this person at the show and I was like, did you really tell Trey to kick it up after night one? Because I was trying to figure out, it was bugging me to death. 
Like you, for me, I felt like Sherlock Holmes, like no, or Nancy Drew. I want to fucking get to the bottom of this. Like and everything has to be something to, to stick a fucking lightning rod up Trey's ass to make him fucking take notice and be like, all right. We're going balls deep tonight. You know, I'm not after blowing out all the stops. We're going to throw down a show that California's never seen before. Yes, even all the you know, even with Shoreline, it was something that we had never seen before. Energetically, set list is everything was fucking amazing, right? It's just like a sick night. So that person was like, uh, hey, showed me a review off of Live Fish that was no longer on Live Fish anymore. <laughs> Called it a Hollywood phone-in show. With a uh, shitty song selection and a weak execution, like the, the, that they're done, and I, and it was a uh, Hollywood music executive. If anybody can find this, a Hollywood music executive was the thing. I went on Live Fish looking for this. It, I think I think they kind of take off some of the some of the shittier. I mean, there's so um, and this was at the this was at the Sunday show when I when I had run into this person and trying to figure it all out, and they're like, um. Yeah, Trey read that review and sent it to somebody. I'm like, oh, Trey saw that review and sent it to somebody. Oh, so that's what it was. Because I read that review and it would be enough to light a fire under my ass too. I mean, listen, as an artist, what does it take mm -hmm. to get you to really go in there and dig deep? Because he had to dig really deep that night. What, is it, what does it take? And it's going to take somebody that's going to shit all over you and your career and your music where you're like, I'm going to show this fucker, you know, I'll, I'll show that I'll show them. Uh, and you know what went up the next day? Those, those reviews were glow. I mean, Saturday was, hey. well, whoever wrote that review, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, Hey, listen, that's what it takes you to, to kick somebody out of their comfort zone. Friday did have some good moments. Though. I'm not saying that I went back to Friday and listened to it again. I'm not saying that they were on fire. I thought Berkeley had some good moments too. Oh yeah. But you know, he, and the other thing I heard was that Trey had three nights of set list all written out, ready to go. And at night two, we tore that shit up and just went for it. So I'm interested today to see what was on those other lists, yeah. what the song selections were. But, um, you know, we probably didn't have Cavern. We probably didn't have a lot of the stuff. That well, we a lot of that stuff was also played uh, in Seattle, right? Yeah. So the Ghost, right? I'm not sure about the Bowie. Was that the only Bowie? He's the only Bowie. The only Bowie, sure, yeah. But, you know, it, it, here we are. It's Fish is how many years old and, and 40 years old now. They're celebrating their 40th anniversary this year. And we're still talking about it, breaking down the shows, finding it interesting and intriguing enough. Even if, you know, they are wherever they are and they figured out how to make the music engaging and how to keep us on board. Because you know what? Any Fish head that was like, eh, and went to that Saturday show, I was like, okay, what's next? Yeah. Like, you sign me up. I'm back in it. And that was the same thing I saw that first time at the World Turn that made me go to the Warfield and at the Warfield that made me go. And what is it about 4.0, though? Like, do you do you have a sense? Because it really feels like they have been reinvigorated in a way that, I mean, every time they come back, we feel they've been reinvigorated in some sense. Well, I, I guess except for... For the big, yeah, because yeah, that was a bit sort of sad. But well, there there, there was some good. Two thousand three had some great moments. July two thousand three was fire. And like well, you like said, three, some of their best some stuff ever is three point You know, they've done yep. some of their most epic things. So it's it's it, you know, it is in flows, but four point is just like really they've been. Listen, I, I just I, I I really can't break it down. One point oh, two point oh, three point oh, four point oh. I think the best way because you know I think because 
the best way to look at it is this is a band that's still playing and they know and all four guys are alive and still playing and if one if anything happens to any of these guys there's no replacing any of these guys you can't replace fish can't replace mike can't replace page can't replace trey it's just what it is trey would have his solo band and do his thing and that would be where he would go and if anything god forbid happens to these guys but you know for now they're all healthy they're all rolling about to roll in the 60 years old we're lucky to be here. You know, it's always a good time. I went down to Mexico. Mexico was not the Garden, which I thought the Garden this year was some of the best four-night runs of the Garden I've ever seen. And also, that New Year's was just spectacularly played. I thought all three sets were really good. I thought the gag was a ton of fun. I thought the set, song selection, everything that had to do with New Year's, I was really stoked. I was stoked enough in New Year's where I was like, I got to go to Mexico. And in Mexico, I, I don't know, maybe it's hard to get... You know, I, I heard some great music, but it wasn't like, again, yeah, it wasn't anything I went back to and listened to over and over and over again. I went back and listened to a couple of times, and then I was like, I think I like what happened to the garden more, and I think I like what happened. You know, it's like you find the shows that you gravitate more that you've seen. We're just lucky to be able to, to go and have all these shows to go see now. There's so much fish right now. You know, before they were only playing in the summertime, and now you got you got winter shows now with Mexico and, and uh we're going to hopefully get some 40th anniversary shows. You know, I'm hearing mm-hmm. rumors of Hampton possibly in early December, but I don't know if that's true. I haven't heard it from anybody reliable, but I they did something similar to that, their 30th yeah. anniversary early December run. They consider that their birthday, so I would assume there's going to be some kind of celebration. Somewhere. 2013, they did a whole fall tour. Yeah, but it was it was a week. It was like it was like it was like it was like Boston. No. It was Boston. It was like a night in each city. In December of 20, 2013. Early. Early December, late. Right, but they right. also did an entire summer tour. Oh, no, no. I'm just talking about for the 40th anniversary in around yeah, December. But it was only like four shows, I think, or five shows. 2013, they played a lot of shows. Yeah. They did. They did. Well, they, you know, back in the day, they're playing 180 times a year. <laughs> I don't know. The early 90s was crazy. No, that, I think, is what is so amazing about Fish, is that they're all still together. They found a way to be symbiotic and hopefully continue to enjoy themselves because we benefit from that. We get to still see them. They're playing. They're at the top of their game. Like, well, it's not well, just symbiotic. Well, like, well, that's been some of the best shows. I feel like I get everything I need in a fish show still. Yeah. Everything I needed when I was a kid. I'm still getting, and what I need's maybe different, right? We're, we've all evolved. It's been well, a long time. Everything like, we need, every expectation we had is because of one guy. His name is Trey Anastasio. He raised the bar over and over again. I just kept watching him raise the bar over the past 30-plus years that I've been seeing fish. Keep raising that bar and raising that bar and raising that bar, and me going, holy shit. So when you see something that doesn't sit with you right at a show or you it doesn't deliver on a level that you're used to, it's not because you're a jaded fan. It's because Trey fucked up and he's not delivering. <laughs> he's old, whatever. It's not, it's not because you're jaded. It's because he's not doing what you've seen him do a zillion times before. Yeah. You know, you know what he's capable of. Yes. And when you see him not live up to those capabilities, even with your kids, you're the same way. Wait a second, you little nerd. You didn't do it that time. Go back and do it again. You know, so it's the same expectations you have with your family that you have with Trey when he's in these jams and when he's doing a show. You know what this guy's capable of. So to see him sleepwalk or do it halfway or not do it right or to to blow it, you know, you get upset. You know, I got upset a lot. You know, <laughs> you know me too. And so, yeah. But, you know, I'm really happy now. I'm really happy with, with where the Baron is. They're original, even though they're not genre-specific. They're all over the place. 
but there's a lot of originality to what they do and they're 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 rocking you know they have it going on so we're lucky to be on the planet and at a seat at a fish show whenever you can because it's one of the best lights of music you'll have and you know watching Corodo was you know with the light rig and you know it was really frustrating to watch it move in seattle and then go to six more shows and not see it move yeah you know and i mentioned that to him on a text i was like please no more venues where you can't move the lights and i assume that the hollywood bowl would have that be able to handle the weight load. i did too i i i knew the greek obviously but i thought for sure yeah, it must be some heavy, heavy lights because man the, the, i was shocked to see that they wasn't able to handle it same yes but you know you don't know what's up there behind that thing it's probably not as big as structure as you think it's by a lot of show but the way he lights that bowl and i talked to him and one of the other things i was like i was like i think you should take that proscenium or whatever you call it with you the curves of the hollywood bowl and he goes i hate it and i was like you hate it really yeah he's like too much white huh. and i you know with corona he likes to be able to when it's black to go fully black and not have to worry about that background what he's lighting yeah now you have to think about that besides your light show yeah you can see a lot of the bull you, i mean it's definitely you see it. he you doesn't see it. you can't go to black there but no. you know what was cool like and it reminded me of going all the way back to 2000 when they were at radio city that same kind of where it's those set is those ribs you know like how the bull is ribbed like radio city has those ribs and he was playing off of some of that well, the last time he was at the bowl was the first time he did it and uh well the first time he played the bowl was the first time we saw him take that over. That was 2013? 11. So 2011. And that was one night? Or Yeah. Okay, and then they did two after that in 2014? No, just one more in 13. 2013. So there were only two other shows at the Bowl, right? That's right. But the first time they did it, I remember hearing the guys uh, talk, the guys from the crew that work in the Hollywood Bowl all the time talk. And the guys were like, we've worked every show here since the Beatles. And we've ne- never seen anybody light the Bowl like this guy. Cool. So... I mean, he is the best of the best. Like, yeah. So many people have been influenced by him and what he does. Yeah, well, there's a lot. You know, if you think about it, there's a lot that he has to do there when the band's just going off. When the yeah. band goes off for a 43-minute tweezer, he's got to figure out shit to do. And, you know, he, he it's fun to watch with, you know, everyone I was talking to was telling me that every light on these on those trusses now is completely new. There's not one light on there that was on the last tour. Mm. So they've redesigned, all those redesigned, especially the LED bar now, which breaks into little pieces, and he can move them on angles and up and down. Yes. Spin them. And and using the effect of the the mist, like the smoke that they pump, and him playing off of that, Yeah, that's a huge part of his show. Being able to give like the lights more three. Yeah, well, yeah you, need to, you need to have some kind of vapor in the air, you know. You know, I I, can't, I think it was Ween had a great vapor guy. Like he was this crew guy that was nuts, and he had <laughs> he had the vapor machine on wheels, and he would just run around behind the band and just like put it all over the stage. Like he'd move it over here, and then he'd run over here, and he was high as fuck. He just was running it all, <laughs> all over the fucking stage. <laughs> I saw Ween last a uh, couple of weeks ago at Jazz Fest. Right, still how rock- They're still rocking. You know, they still got a crazy crowd. It's really sophomoric. Yeah. You know, and it really obnoxious, but yeah. also has some really great hooks. For and, sure. You know, but it, it's the wife wasn't too keen on the ween. I could believe it. Yeah. She's like, why did, why did, yeah, I was like, I knew you would have liked that. She's like, why'd you bring me? <laughs> I was like, because so you'll really love the next place I take you. <laughs> <laughs> which was Galactic at Tipitina's, which, you know, you know, good dance fest. Yes. Yeah. The musical Super Bowl Jazz Fest. There's nothing like it. You know, and I thank Trey for getting me down there in 98 to go shoot Oyster Head. That's one of the reasons I went to my first jazz fest 
was because fish was going down there. Yeah, it was a great thing about fish is they really put out those fingers to show you other things that were great besides just them. And a lot of people just want fish. Dude, fish, I love it all. Fish has shown me more music that I would have never known than anything else, right? Like the covers that they played, songs that I'd never heard before as a kid, mm. listening to Fish or going to see Fish, I'd never knew a lot of the covers that they that they would pull out. I'd be like, what the fuck is this song? And then I'd go and I'd look at this band and I'd discover, you know, like, like Blues Image. You know, like I'd never heard Ride Captain Ride before Philly in 99. I had no idea what that song was, but I was like, this song is fucking great. I was calling that in San Francisco. I was so bummed they didn't play it. Yeah. And that's a great San Francisco song. There's a guy, that that and Light Up and Leave Me Alone are two of the songs I like mm-hmm. to see Paige break out at some point. Light Up and Leave Me Alone, the last time I heard it was, was uh, Alpharetta, I think, 11 or something <laughs> like that. So the great tune, great jam. And they do things with the covers that none of the original the original band never did. Yeah, i.e., like roses are free. Yeah, sometimes, and then sometimes it's like the uh, what do you call it? The oh, strawberry. Yeah, strawberry. Yeah, they they did that. It was like three minutes of forty seven seconds at the ball. Yeah, I was like that is sure. I like to see them take shit for a ride. I mean, I'm on that. You know, I like to always see them take a ride. You know, and and I I just one of the things sonically that always drove me to to that drove me to fish was the combination of electric guitar and, and grand piano, which I'd never really heard a band, two guys that could follow each other and mimic each other and be on top of each other. Like, like Trey and page, the way that they play off each other. And probably the thing about goose is that they don't, he doesn't have a page, you know, yeah. Peter's a great piano player, but you know, he it's for someone to have that interplay of someone that drives you uh, musically and your ideas and takes them further, takes them another step and it throws the idea back to you. You have that total interplay in that music of, of what that makes Fish great is that those two lead guys going at it. And then you got the two guys on the uh, rhythm side that are just laying it down. What do you what do you think is is really helping with not this is off topic, but with Goose's trajectory? Like, how are they doing what they're doing? Is it a musical thing or is it a marketing thing that is working and tapping into this next generation of jam band aficionados who are, you know, maybe a little bit jealous that they weren't around for earlier fish shows or earlier? Well, they, the template, the template set, right? Right. right. Well, Dad set the template, fish set the template. So now if any band slides in there, all the fans know what to do. Yeah. They know how to collect posters. They know how to trade tapes. They know how to record the band. They know how to uh, wait for the real. This is becoming a huge issue with them and Billy Strings. Billy Strings fans are fucking violent from what I hear in Ireland. Oh, yeah, people, I saw Irish people shitting on Billy Strings fans because Billy Strings fans went in there all elbows and the Irish people, you know, they're drunk. If there's room on the dance floor, they go on the fucking dance floor. You know, you're not going to tell them where to dance and they see everybody same in space. They don't understand this culture. They don't understand. So there was some trouble. You could see it, you could read about it on the old internet. Billy Strings in Ireland and some of the no some of the Irish people. Billy. I I like Billy, but I'm not I'm not a, a, gra- a bluegrass kind of guy where I can sit there for four hours and eat LSD and watch bluegrass. Like his talent is upper echelon, like beyond yeah. anything I've heard anybody do on one instrument. It's insane. Yeah, but I just don't love that. Well, I'm not I'm not going on Billy Strings tour, but I love Billy. He's a great guy. I love what he's in doing. LA. Yes. If it's easy, but there are people that are really dedicated. You know, people find their things. So I was saying the template 
if you decided that's your band, you know how to, to, to get into that scene. And Goose checked all the marks. They're nice-looking guys, which we don't really have a lot of in the jam band scene, right? So that wasn't like a requirement. But it, it's it not helped. a requirement, but, but they definitely nailed it. Right, and, and you realize that when, when Trey looked out on the stage in 2009 at Hampton, and I have this great photo that's kind of like the Zapruder film of the Sausage Fest, and it's a shot from behind Trey, and you look at that audience, and you can see a 1,000 people, and you can literally pick out two females... That same thought was running through his mind, and if you look at the, uh, the I call it the feminization of fish music, which I'm sure women are going to appreciate that, but it's just like what's happened. He, it's about soul, it's about light, it's about all wow. these love and it's set your soul free, and we're it's on a soul work. planet. It has worked. He's yogified the music. Is the way I look at it too. Yeah. It's like this yoga sensibility, the things that people hear in yoga. And you look at that front row. Every one of those girls has been in yoga class for years, and I love what it's done because I'd much rather see beautiful, hot, sun, young, sexy ladies that smell like this delicious product. They're all full. I love sending mine to girls because the product coming off of them smells great. But it's like, and also I can see over their heads. Uh, but you know, rather than have a bunch of books and stages inspiring for the band to yeah. see all these who are throwing elbows and like, yeah, and people are still getting fights in the front of fish yeah. stages. But you know what? Having the ladies down there has definitely made it easier, and it's definitely been a change has happened in the feminization of fish music. The tunes not being all weird and crazy, and you know about all strange shit, and them going to a different kinds of songs and different kinds of uh, you know they're very proficient guys. It's what John Mayer has done for Dead and Company. Oh, he definitely changed that. Absolutely. Like there, there are so many young girls, twenties, thirties, who are obsessed with Dead and Company. Only listen to it because of John Mayer. Well, only came on to it right, John Mayer. Right and now, you know, they love Althea. They love Uncle John's band. Like you know, they have these like their top tens that are just well, like a good good friend of ours. Hits. Like a good friend of ours once told me. I never had the thoughts of Jerry Garcia running through my head like I'm having of John Mayer right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's I never wanted to do to Jerry Garcia what I want to do to John Mayer right now. So I get it, you know, and it, God bless John Mayer. He really took it on, uh, took that bull by the horns. It's a really picky crowd, and he went and made a fan out of me. I really yep. appreciate his yeah. approach and what he does as a guitar player. You know, he's a guitar player's guitar player. He's really talented. He knows what to do in the dark spaces. He understands. He gets it. And I've seen a lot of people try to do that Jerry guitar, and just his approach is so different and fresh that he kind of he rocks it. I'm yeah, looking forward to a little bit of really, Dead Company's last tour. Really I can't wait. Has, I got like another week. Has taken it and you know not been a cookie cutter replicator of what he's supposed to do, quote unquote. Yeah. You know he's made it his own. He he is not a shy shied away from doing the things that he feels are the right thing. Well, they're big shoes to fill. Like, it's so intimidating. You can be stepped into it with confidence. Big shoes to fill. And also, three of your bandmates, well, now two, are grandmas. You know, they're older. They've got a lot of weight to carry. Their ways. Yeah. They're, they're, they, they don't want to relinquish their hooks on the, the music. I heard it's a lot quicker with... with um, Jay. Jay Lane in, in the seat, and I got to imagine it is, mm. you know, and it'll be a lot quicker when they replace Bob Weir eventually because that's going to happen. This is a big money. That company's a big money thing. I don't think they're done. I think they're going to do residential shows. They'll probably do like Vegas runs, maybe the Sphere or something like that. Yeah. You know? So you don't think it's over? You think? I don't, I, I don't think it's over. I think they're going to do Mexico. Yeah. They'll do Mexico next year. They're going to do stuff like that. 
They'll do destination. They're where you go tour. see the band. Tour. That's what they say. Tour. It's this final tour. It's not the end of the band. Right. It's the final tour. Final tour. Interesting. Which means they'll, there will be residents. We got the sphere opening up, and the heat, you know, uh, Dolan needs to put bands in there. You got U2 now, which U2's already complaining about the fact that the show has to be by to click track. So the, there are a lot of rumors that Fish is going to play the sphere for uh, New Year's Eve that are going around. And they're doing a run this summer, so it makes sense that maybe this is their garden run. I have no inside information on this, but I know that the sphere is open for open, and it will be open for New Year's, and it makes yeah, sense for she goes in there. Career. But if if U two's already complaining the fact that the show has to be so orchestrated to their songs, so the visuals cue at a certain time when Bono's singing certain words, what's going to happen in the case of Fish, where you go off on a thirty minute jam? What are those visuals going to be like behind the band and who's going to be controlling them? Because that's a completely different animal altogether. But you know that Jim Dolan's pulling out every stop to get every band that's been... I'm sure Harry Styles is going to... I heard he might do a, a Halloween run there. Sarah Style. Yes. Musical costume. <laughs> <laughs> he is a musical costume. You know, God bless music. Thank God we have it. Thank God we're out of this pandemic and we're back to living life like we used to with not in fear and, and being able to go and rage and be able to go to fish shows again and be able to go see dead and company and have all these options and not feel like our fellow man's going to kill us by breathing on us or sharing a joint with us. Yeah. So, yeah. And we live in the, in the center of the music universe. Yeah. LA. It, it is interesting to, to come to LA, but then have to travel to go see all this. You want to send it Everybody comes to LA, but you don't want to see anybody in LA because they usually suck. But fish broke the, they broke the curse at the Hollywood Bowl. Absolutely. They, 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 made, they made the Hollywood Bowl their new home. Now everybody wants that to be a residency just like Dick's and, you know. Me oh, too. I, I do. Well, you know, after going to, you were talking about the Greek being, uh, I call it a fish survivor. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it was, it was, it was like, and leveled out there earliest and stood out in the sun for the longest. Or knew how to work the scene and be able to fucking just gang it. Which he did. find like six inches of concrete and that didn't have the tarp on it and be like, look, there's no tarp on this piece of concrete. I'm standing on it, so fuck you, which happens too down there, you know? So unless you're a really wily fan who knows how to work it, you know? Uh, but, but then they go to the Hollywood Bowl after that where you have your delineated space for you and your friends where you can stub everybody down from the seats and have 12 <laughs> people on the box before. Yeah. <laughs> and that looked really comfortable too. Yeah. And no, and no you know, policing of the aisles. Not, not the main aisle. The main aisle, aisle. Sure. But those like, side aisles, all those side aisles yeah. between everything, like literally, you could go anywhere yeah. at the Hollywood Bowl, and that's what we've discussed. It is just like the apex experience. Yeah, it was really good. We're spoiled. Oh yeah, you scan the QR code. Yeah. Order whenever you Spoil want. The QR code. Yeah. The drinks come right. The guy shows up five minutes later with your beers. Anything else? What do you ask no, a lot? No, I think that was this is awesome. Yeah. They did so much fun talking about fish. I mean, I love that band, and you know, it's it's uh. It's an enigma because you think I want to keep touring and going to see these guys and I have to cut time out of my schedule. And, you know, it was really nice during a pandemic to not have to think about, oh, I can't make a decision what I want to do this summer until I see what the dates are, you know, and then wait for dates to drop and then book your summer vacation around fucking dates or see how many you can slide in and fly from here to there. I've jumped through so many hoops. My, well, my favorite story is I remember I, I bought a ticket to Maine to go to Limestone to go see... Like uh, Lemon Wheel or the Great Wet. What was first? It was Lemon Wheel? Great Wet. Great Wet. Yeah. You'll see the Great Wet. And uh, I had it. No, I think it was Lemon Wheel. I had it on my bulletin board because in those days you got paper tickets. 
and my wife walks in the room in my office one day and the ticket's been up there for like a month and she's like what's this a plane ticket for she goes why are you going to limestone maine i hadn't even discussed i mean little kids at the time the fact that i was gonna leave her alone with like the two little kids and boogie to fucking limestone yeah so wasn't well received, but you know what? Did you I, go? Of course I went. I had the ticket. <laughs> yeah, listen, that was my first show. Uh, was it? Yeah. It was a great fucking show. Incredible, man. Great show. Incredible. And like just walking onto that, you know, tarmac and just the way it was set up. And yeah, that was something was else. Two miles of shakedown, you know, and just people juggling and whispering in your ear and it's <laughs> drum circle. It, and I was just. Ch- in shock i was 16 years old yeah you know uh, it's like the age for me i can't i can't imagine being a teenager and slipping in that scene and what would happen to me now or where i'd be or even if it happened with me with the grateful dead where i was like seeing those shows in 78 like what my trajectory would have been or you know because it just because one thing about that once you get into that traveling circus lifestyle it's not like it's you want to run away from it no you want more of it yeah. You know, so the fact that I got to it after I had already become 30 and I was well established in my career and I had a job and now I could be the biggest freak I wanted to be because I knew I had cash rolling in from chasing celebrities around, you know, so it was like, all right, let's go. Let's go rage. Well, the reason that I didn't fall too deep into it because it was because of the two breaks that they took. Right. Right. Mm. They took a break. It was go to college or go on tour. And they're like, we're done touring. Yeah. You know, and then I was done college and I was like, fish is back. Like, what are we going to do? And then they're like, actually, we're never playing together ever again. We hate each other. And it was amazing because you didn't have to slip into that thing. It was like, where were you getting it? Where were you going to get that, that, uh, the juice? And it was just hard. I mean, I would go to Humphreys. So see string cheese, string cheese, you yeah. know, sure. disco yeah. biscuits. They're, they're, all, they're all fun. I mean, it was all fun. They were fun. But, you know, fish, it's just a different thing. Yeah, I, I went in like a completely different direction. You know, went into a completely different scene, which was not jam band scene. Right. For 2005 to 2000. Yeah. Oh, but, you know, I I slip in, because of my camera, I've slipped and slide in everything from country to EDM to rap to i've seen it all i've shot it all over the years um you know but it's all about for me is the stuff that's the least theatrical and the most musical you know i want to see people really deliver at a a level of expectation have you heard of uh donato yeah donato was playing did you see it uh daniel donato you're talking about yeah yeah he was playing at the uh what do you call it uh, republic during jazz fest and I, i i put my head in there for a minute you know, he's very, very good. Yeah. You know, it's just more Grateful Dead, right? Yeah. But I, so a buddy of mine sent me the video of the Dark Star that he did with... Yeah, with Billy. It was really good. Yeah. Yeah, good. listen, there's a lot of talent and stuff there, but after a while, it's just like another Grateful Dead the cover band. And it's like, how many of those are going to be on your charts and how many do you have to see? I mean, fun to see when they roll in town. Again, like to go on tour and be like, oh, they did not, but he's killing well, it right now. The only one, the only Grateful Dead cover band that is really pushing the limits is j-rad mm. you know they're doing their own thing well the other thing about j-rad is those guys were not dead fans any of them well that's and especially like dave drywitz was like when you talk to him about being in it he's like yeah i'm in a grateful dead cover band <laughs> yeah, he is not thrilled about well they're it. they're moving away a little bit and covering some other songs well they started as a zepp they started off as a zeppelin cover oh, really? zeppelin yeah, yeah. The, their that project was um the freak it was freaks ball or maniacs ball something like that 
And they, they had it. It was a fundraiser that they had at uh, the Brooklyn Bowl that Shapiro put together. So the first year they came together, they did a thing called Bustle in My Hedgerow, which was all those guys on stage. And they went to Dave Drywitz because they were like, we need a bass player for this. And they asked him to play because they knew he loved Led Zeppelin. He's like, fuck yeah. And he didn't know those guys. Yeah. But that was the first time he played with them. And then the second year came around, they're like, oh, let's do the Grateful Dead this time. And it became such a hit that like that summer they were uh, asked to headline festivals. They went from a one-off doing a Grateful Dead band, and those guys were not Dead fans. When Joe Russo was brought in to be part of Further, yeah, that was the first time he had sat and rehearsed Grateful Dead songs. Phil sent him a disc with 60 songs on it that he learned and then went to go to that audition. And then he sat in a room there with uh, Jeff Cementi and... Um, Cadillac, John Cadillacy, and that's, they became further. And the offer came in. Uh, the, they all got an offer, folded a piece of paper, and the band left. Bobby and Phil left, and they all opened it up and they looked at it like, "That's more money than I've ever made." And he's like, "That's more money than I've ever made. That's more money than I've ever made." Like three little pigs. Like we're in. Let's do it. They said it's either all of you or none of you, and they all went. And Joe Russo, when I would go see Further, was the main reason I went to see Further because I'd never seen a drummer play Grateful Dead music like Joe Russo. He was both drummers at the same time. Yeah. Eight fucking arms. He was everything you read about us. And he took to that music like no one I've ever seen. And now that's why it's intriguing. Is it his is, drumming is fucking amazing. The most enjoyable yeah. new experience of the group. It's Grateful Dead meets Garage Band for me because it's got that edge, that rock and roll kind of thing where they yeah. definitely know how to go hard and they're definitely got the Garage Band, but those guys are all jazz. I mean, the first time I saw Joe Russo, he was in a band called The Duo with Marco Benevento. Yeah. It was just the two of them on stage at Bonnaroo and they made so much racket between the two of them. You were just like, how is two people making this compelling, you know? Yeah. So, it was fun. Anyway, thanks guys. It was great to see you. Thank you, you so much. Talk about Come back soon. Okay? I can talk about it all day. Thank you.